My name is Jeremy Pierce. Uh, I am here today with uh, a guest, uh, George Yancey, who is a sociology professor at Baylor University and uh, has authored uh, a number of works uh, related to race issues. And so we're going to talk about some of that today. Uh, I have uh, I have two of your books, George. I have the version of the, your arguments that you wrote for the Christian population, Christian audience, uh, which I have not read yet. And I have your book that you co-authored with Michael Emerson, which is about uh, the same material roughly, but designed for a more uh, or a broader audience and probably aimed at an introductory level college class from what it seemed to me. And, um, so that's that's my familiarity with that other than stuff that you've done online mm -hmm. and uh you've obviously done a lot more writing on this in the last few months since uh george floyd and all of that happened and uh my understanding is that you are just you've just completed another book or you're about to complete another uh, book? yeah i see the manuscript in to university and university quasi treats it like a that book in that they'll send out to reviewers right. and so uh, i'll get comments back and then and then i'll react to the comments but i've signed a contract so the book will get published unless so there's a know, good there's a good amount of stuff still to happen between, <laughs> you know it's like a cancel in between time or something like that so right so yeah. but i've been staying away from the women so i don't think that'll be a problem so it'll probably be another year or so before that appears something like that what It'll probably be about another year before it appears, that kind of thing. That's my guess. My guess is it's either be late this year, but they probably want to bring in with the spring stuff. That's that's my thinking. So my general take on your approach is you can correct me if I'm getting any of the details a little bit off, but you sure. you are trying to find a middle ground between what um, some people call the colorblind approach and what some people call anti-racism. Yeah. And that's a specialized definition of the term anti-racism. I think it's important to say there are people who hear that word and they think you're opposed to racism, but that's not what you mean when you say anti-racism. And that's not what a lot of people who are yeah. race activists, academics working on race issues mean by anti-racism. So can you give a quick explanation of those two views that you're trying to find a middle ground between? I guess I think less middle ground and more something that's distinctive from both of them. Uh, but but I, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, colorblindness is probably pretty easy to explain. It just means you ignore race. That, uh, you know, that, you know, you, you, you know, the idea that if we ignore race, then we'll, we'll be able to overcome racism. Uh, and uh, so that's pretty straightforward. Anti-racism, as you said, you know, you know, I hear people say, you know, how could you critique anti-racism? Who could be pro-racism? Who could be for racism? But then if you read the literature, the anti-racists themselves say, you know, being anti-racist is not just being against racism. I mean, Kennedy is really famous for that, right? 
McKinney yeah. says, you know, there's no such thing as being, uh, once he say, there's no such thing as being non-racist. Non yeah, non-racist. So you're either, you're either, either you're pro-racist or you're anti-racist. And so, uh, you know, because I, I can see some people come up and say, well, I'm anti-racist. I don't like racism. Uh, but of course, that's not what it's meant. Uh, and so I guess, uh, you know, a, a, a very quick and dirty definition and one that obviously doesn't lacks nuance is that to be anti-racist is a very proactive approach towards dealing with racism and, and, and searching it out and, and confronting it, be it personal, be it institutional, be it structural, systematic, whatever form it takes. Uh, and so that's, you know, that's not nearly as complete of a definition as, I, as you know, one should have, but it, it'll work for right now. Okay. So I, I, I imagine that people in those two groups would both try to push back against that characterization. So uh, I, I can imagine, I mean, when I've engaged with people who self-ascribe the name colorblind to themselves, yeah. uh, and you say, well, you're ignoring race, they, they really don't like being characterized that way. Yeah. So what, why, would you, uh, why would you think that's an accurate characterization of it? Well, I mean, I, I mean, when I talk to people who are colorblind, they basically say, you know, uh, basically say, you know, why are you paying attention to race? So to me, that's ignoring race. And, and you know, the okay. example that I give all the time, uh, well, not all the time since this happened, was when I post on Facebook, you know, just asking people on, on how they're raising their, you know, because I have three boys of color. Uh, so I just basically ask, you know, what are y'all doing to sort of prepare them for racial issues? And I got a lot of people who said, well, why are you even bringing up race as far as why you're trying to raise your boys? So to me, that is practically, you're, you're telling me I should ignore race in raising my, my own boys. Uh, so what, you know, maybe they don't like the word ignore. Uh, you know, maybe they would like to think that they downplay the importance of race. Uh, you know, maybe they feel that's more accurate. But you're telling people, don't bring don't bring race into the conversation. Then you are ignoring race. So, you know that's how I would see it. Uh, the the anti-racism definition. I admit, you know, what I'm given is lacks the complete nuance of what anti-racism is. But you know, we're, we're just you know. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I think the 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 colorblind definition you gave. There's some people who actually say explicitly that, and I think you're right about that. They'll 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 say, yeah, we should. I mean, racial categories are, are fictional. They, there's no scientific basis for them. And therefore, we should not pay any attention to them whatsoever. Yeah. I think there's a more moderate approach that sometimes gets called colorblind, where um, they just, they'll describe their view as, uh, we should just, we, I mean, yeah, we can recognize that people have different racial tags, if you will. Uh, that our that our society assigns to them, but we should move ourselves away from thinking in those terms. Yeah, and it's sort of they're 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 a little bit more gradualist about it, I guess. Whereas you have those who just completely want to stop doing it right now, mm -hmm. and and I think both of those groups do exist. I think both of them have been, have called themselves colorblind. Yeah, like they don't like affirmative action, the more moderate view. They don't like affirmative right. action. They don't like. Uh, hate crime laws and things like that because you're drawing attention to these negative categories right so uh in a sense they'll talk about it they're not completely ignoring it but they're they're trying to move away from it in a pretty yeah. pretty concerted way yeah 
I so, guess, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Vapor's concept of the ideal type uh, or, or not, but I mean, you know, I guess I'm, I'm, you know, I guess when you discuss things like this, because, you know, there's always gradations and variations within any sort of ideology. And so Vapor talks about an ideal type where you sort of use it so that you can st start talking about theoretically what this means. Right. And right. so, you know, when I talk about colorblindness and anti-racism, uh, and I'm probably a little more worried about this. I'm talking about anti-racism because, you know, like even the difference would say between Kendi and, and D'Angelo on whether or not blacks can be racist. You know, you know, there's there's all sorts of people who who uh, take certain elements of it and then add their own personal taste to it. And, and so if you describe anti-racism, there's gonna be some people saying, well, that's not me, even though I'm anti-racist. And, and and so you have to but all this to say is, you know, yeah, I, I use ideal types because I think they're very useful for helping us to see uh, what these ideologies say, what they what they get right, what they get wrong, uh, and, and and to move on from there. Acknowledging, you know, I fully acknowledge that, you know, that there are people who say, well, I would describe myself kind of this way, but you're not completely describing me. But that's just basically, you know. What, what can you do? There's 300 million people in, in the United States. You, you, you can't find an ideology that's going to capture right. significant chunks of them. Everyone's going to say, yes, I agree. But you can find general tendencies that tend right. to yeah. often right. together, that kind of thing. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so for anti-racism then, uh, obviously the, the definition that you're giving is something that doesn't sound that extreme. Yeah. You're just saying, well, they give it a concerted attention. They're going to actually pay attention and, and work hard yeah. to try to do. Right? What are the particular things about it that I, I mean? I think I think from what you said already about colorblindness, the fact that they're ignoring race is what you have trouble with. What is it mm -hmm. about anti-racism that you have trouble with? Well, I, I think the the implications of how anti-racism is done is, is problematic, and, and I would, you know. Uh, Practically speaking, what happens is when you look for race everywhere, you find racism everywhere, uh, and you find racism as the as the as the issue everywhere. Uh, and so, uh, so I think mean, that that's the first issue is that you know I think I think reality is much more complex and nuanced than that. You know, does racism explain uh, certain racial differences? Clearly, there's an element of that, but it's not the only thing that that does that. You know, uh, people don't want to. I'll just be honest, you know, we have problems in our African American community because of education. You know, there's an oppositional culture that, that, that's real. And, and people say, well, that's blaming the victim. But I've, you know, I've experienced that. And I've, you know, been, you know I've been, I've had to fight, fight through that in order to, to, uh, to get my education. And so you can say blame the victim, but it's also just part of the reality of life. Uh, and so, we, you know, so there's that. So that, you know, just on, the, on that definition, that, that's a problem. But then when you get to the nuts and bolts of how anti-racism is done, you know, and I, you know, I didn't, and I would say that probably 99.5% of the anti-racists would, would if, if they don't personally agree with this, would live this out. Uh, you know, one component in anti-racism that's not self-evident from the definition I gave is sort of a denigration of any opinions by European Americans. Uh, and, and, you know, to the point where I, think it is legitimate for a white person to feel like if they're in an anti-racism environment that they have no say, uh, that they're not supposed to speak up for anything that they believe that does not vary, vary from whatever anti-racism ideas that's out there at the time. Uh, 
Now, can I say that every single anti-racism racist person uh, has that? Probably not, but I was, I would, you know, from reading their literature and from talking to them and, and you know, being, you know, hearing them talk about it, uh, that is, is, is also a component of anti-racism. You know, the sort of denigration of, you know, of, of anything, you know, that a white person has to say. You know, a common saying that, you know, you, I know you read about is ending whiteness. You know, well, what does that mean? Uh, you know, what ending whiteness means. Now, I, I know that what some people will say is, you know, is this genocide? Do you want to kill white people? And of course, that's not what it means. Yeah, that's totally getting it wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But does it, not, does it not also mean, at least to some degree, that it's sort of ending European American culture? Because when I hear people talk about ending whiteness, and they may not say this directly, and, and I get that, but they, I mean, this is a pattern that I've just seen. You know, they, they put all these attributes that they, they perceive as being negative or, or not that great, and they put it on, it's almost like a sacrificial lamb, they put it on white culture, and then let's kill the, let's kill the culture. You know, I mean, that, that illustration just came to me. I mean, I was going to talk. Thanks, Jeremy. Yeah, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it, it, I mean, you know, that's, that's what, what was it, Smithsonian Museum? Was that the one that did all that chart with yeah, this that is what a, whiteness is? And, and people were going, really? So, so you know, I, that's a tendency that I just see within anti-racism, you know, which, you know, basically inhibits uh, useful conversations that we could have. Because if people are being told, you know, we're, we're ending whiteness and you really don't have a place to say anything unless you agree with us, that makes it hard to have conversation. So I, I think there's really two levels of what's going on here. One is sort of the official statement of the view. And the official statement of the view seems to me to be hey, here's this thing that can be toxic, it can be uh, demeaning to people of color, it can be uh, excluding them and marginalizing them in various ways. Let's call it whiteness, <laughs> right? And yeah. then they'll say that whiteness is, is at the very foundation of uh, a lot of society because a lot of the things that we developed were developed with slavery in mind and with later, later things after slavery was gone that, yeah. that perpetuate the... Uh, the disparities and the, the stereotypes and the uh, biases that are that are there. And um, I think if you put it that way, it sounds entirely unproblematic to me to mm -hmm. say that there are these things that are out yeah, there yeah. that work that way. And um, if you want to use the word whiteness for that, that's a little, um, I mean, it's certainly unclear because mm -hmm. people are not going to hear it the way it's intended. Yeah. But, but, but then when you see what they start, the second level is when you see what they start applying it to, they just start applying it to everything. <laughs> and, yeah. and everything is whiteness and things that, that are good, they'll be calling whiteness and then whiteness is, is a dirty word. So there, I mean, there's nothing wrong with logical argument. That's not right, I mean, yeah. Not, yeah. Not, right? There's nothing wrong with, yeah, I, I, I totally understand the need to find ways for kids to learn math if they're from a community that hasn't had the same level of educational standards there might be better ways to teach them but then calling the traditional ways white and acting as if that's they're bad because they're white seems to me to be misdiagnosing the problem mm -hmm. right and and I'm, I'm all for exploring ways to educate kids better but it seems like they're they're making it something it's not or at least they're giving the impression to people who don't know what they mean 
yeah. that they're that they're meaning something that they don't yeah and uh in my experience if you try to confront someone about that they either say that you're just perpetuating the racist system or they say that you don't understand if you're if you're white they say you don't understand it because you're white mm -hmm. or they uh explain hey i don't mean it that way i don't actually mean it that way but then when you see how much stuff they're actually applying to yeah. it makes it makes it seem like they really do mean it that way that's the thing when there's there's their official view and they don't mean it that way in their official view but then when you see all the things they're actually including in it you got to wonder with some with some of some of the people who are doing this i think yeah i mean you know it, it's a matter of what people say and what they actually do you know right. uh you know i i look at what they actually do not just what they say now obviously when i'm when i uh try to re represent someone in my research and they say they're doing something and then i say okay this is what they said they're doing uh you know but then you actually have to report what they do as well you know that that they have these sort of arguments i remember actually you know think just thinking back in grad school and i remember that uh you know we were being taught about the culture of indigenous people and things like that and and i remember thinking you know every time we're taught about the culture of indigenous people it seems that these sort of liberal progressive values are placed on it so the indigenous people you know they're very environmentally uh sound they were they tend to they're very gender egalitarian they're they're very i was thinking you know that just does not comport with reality to me right you know that that you know that this this you know that indigenous people were very accepting of lgbtq people and i just you know i'm sure i'm sure there were some examples of that throughout you know there's there's you know hundreds and not thousands of Native American groups. So you can find examples to support your point, but that just did not seem uh, right right to me. And that's when I first got the, 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 the notion that, uh, that the good things that was being seen by the subculture I was in was being placed on, on uh, marginalized people's culture. And the bad things were being placed on European American culture. Now, I, I didn't really have the words to articulate at the time. Yeah, but uh, but it, you know, just because I went to grad school, I don't know about you. I went to grad school, kind of. I want to find truth, you know, and uh, this is science, and 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 we're gonna test everything, and we're gonna and we're gonna you know we're gonna put our biases aside and 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 find truth, and and you know, and I quickly learned how foolish it was to believe that, and that's one that's one of the things that 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 came to my mind is like you know these people are not really interested in finding truth; they're interested in, in pushing their narrative. Right, and, I, I, and this is the problem with the way this is used, among other problems. I mean, there's other problems with the way the term is used, but to me, that's part of the problem is that you know it's pushing up a narrative and not a helpful narrative, from my point of view. But you have no problem with pointing to, and you you don't mind the term systemic racism. No, uh -uh. no problem with that. So um, when you criticize this, it's not because you're suspicious that there are systemic problems related right. to race. Uh, it's not that you think the things they're pointing to are, I mean, some of them might go too far. Some of them might be misidentifying yeah. the problem, but uh, there, there really is a, uh, a need to identify and address some of these problems that they're calling whiteness. It's yeah. not because you think that the, the, the... Yeah, it's not because I don't believe institutional racism doesn't exist or anything right. like that. And I, I would, you know, I would tell people, you know, the value of anti, an anti-racism approach is sometimes we see problems that we may have missed, 
you know, do they go overboard and see problems everywhere? Yes. But sometimes, you know, what they point out is, is actually something that's real. You know, and a couple of examples I just would give is that, uh, you know, uh, I think something white privilege is a reality. I, I think that there is something called white privilege that is out there that we would not normally perhaps notice if we hadn't had an anti-racism approach. On the other hand, I think, you know, the whole thing of microaggressions is a bunch of crap. You know, I, you know, uh, if, there, if you could find a way of measuring it for me uh, and showing and, 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 and uh, operationalizing it so that it's like, okay, this is something that is solid. Like you can't, you, you, you can kind of do that with, with privilege. I mean, it's not, not the easiest thing to do, but you can actually concre concretely make the argument this, you know, and, and you might be able to, you know, the privilege of, of when you're pulled over, you don't have to worry about if you're pulled over by being black. Well, there's actually research that shows that driving while black is a real thing. Right. And that's not just something that we just made up in our heads, that, that if you're black, you're more likely to be pulled over. And so if you're considering that or being pulled over, you're actually connected to reality. On the other hand, microaggressions is just like, you know, my feelings hurt a little bit. You said America was a good place. I mean, I, I can't take that seriously. Well, so, so sometimes yeah. they go overboard with some like micro, microaggressions, but then other times the privilege to actually latch on to something that's real. And so there's value in that. You just have to, you know, uh, I had to learn how to discern what's useful and what's not. So some of the things that people call microaggressions, they're just pointing out ways that you can like insult someone a little bit, right? Yeah. Even though you feel like you're not. Yeah. And I'm okay with pointing that out. I think that's a really good thing to do to say, hey, look, if you, if you, if you tell someone who's an Asian American um, and ask them where they're from mm -hmm. and they say California, and you think that's the wrong answer because they're from right, yeah. China, even yeah. though their their parents came from China, they never lived there in their life, right? There is something insulting about that. I don't. Yeah, that's rude. That kind yeah. of thing that that people call microaggressions is worth pointing to. Mm -hmm. So the part of it that you're questioning is not that, right? Right. Yeah. To me, to me, a lot of that could just be covered in rudeness. I mean, you, I mean that that could be right. like if I ask you where you're from, and you say Brooklyn, and I said no, you have a Southern accent. You know, you're not really from Brooklyn. I'm sort of insulting you because you know you're telling me about yourself, and I'm saying you don't know you. Right. You know, that that that's insulting. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I do. I think that sometimes microaggressions land on something that truly is rude or insulting. Yeah. But it, and it, but and it can fall along line, race lines. You know, it can fall along race lines. But yeah. what you're questioning is how much value the recognition of those tendencies can have in connecting with real life outcomes, right? Right, yeah. I would need to see, I mean, you know me. I'm a, I, yeah, I want to see the, the, the research yeah. on that. Yeah. Show me some research that shows, show me research that shows that there's uh, uniqueness in the rudeness based on race as opposed to other groups. You know, yeah. I, I want to see that research. And then you can talk to me about, you know, are there microaggressions, are there certain ways? But if all you're going to say is, you know, well, the, well, we don't like when people say these things. All right, well, sometimes, you know, what people may, may be saying may be rude. Sometimes you just may not like it just because you disagree with them. And I'm sorry, you know, I mean, that's a society, people disagree with me all the time, you know? Yeah. That's life. Yeah, yeah and, and I think there's, there's a tendency among some of the anti-racism advocates to take, I mean, it, it feels to me like it, it's the equivalent of when American Christians will say they're persecuted 
mm-hmm. because um, someone made fun of them. Right. When there are people in the world who are being put in prison or executed for their faith, right? Right, yeah. The, 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 the use of the word persecution there seems like it's heavily exaggerated. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, is there a sense in which that's persecution? Um, I guess so. I mean, yeah. And, and, and I mean, Jesus told his followers, <laughs> he told his disciples, the world isn't going to like you because it doesn't like me. Yeah. And people who don't believe in Jesus don't like some of the things that Christians do and, and, and say. And, yeah. and yes, that's going to include being made fun of. But there's a degree thing here of, of, of seriousness. And uh, I mean, I would be I would be equally well willing to criticize some of the use of the term oppressive or oppression yeah. uh, that comes from the left for, for the same reason. Um, microaggressions are treated as an as an oppression yeah they are treated as a uh, when, when there are people who are literally being killed because of their their ethnic group in some parts of the world uh now there is the police issue in the united states there's police violence are, are black people being killed at a disproportionate rate compared to white people by the police uh, yeah. it's like the evidence is that that is true but that it's also uh, not at the levels that we normally think of oppression. Yeah, right. So, not yeah. at the same level as as the kinds of oppression that have occurred, where yeah. it, when it's deliberate and yeah. organized. Like and this is this is not yeah. radical Muslims lining up a bunch of Christians and beheading them. Right. So right. There, there, there's different. It's kind of funny what you said about persecution because I actually did a blog. Because even though I've done research on anti-Christian discrimination, I don't like the I don't like Christians, American Christians talking about being persecuted. And so I did a blog and I, you know, I was, my intention was to do this blog and to, you know, start off with the definition of persecution and say, folks, is this really what 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 you know what you're suffering? Well, I looked at the field definition and I forget the exact words, but it's it's something like belittling or or something like that. I said, actually. That definition actually fits, but it's such a wide definition that it would fit for almost any group. Almost any group can claim, you know, I mean, what group is not ridiculed by someone in our society? Right. So, uh, so I say, okay, you got me. You know, by definition, you are persecuted, but it, you know, the way we use that term is, doesn't apply to the way to what you're. So, so you create an image that that's not real, even though I had to admit technically. You know, by this definition, because it can apply to anyone, of course, then it can apply to you as well. Uh, so, uh, so it's kind of interesting that that when I wrote that blog, trying to disabuse Christians of the notion of persecution, and then having to admit, well, by definition, you know, because anyone can be persecuted, anyone can be belittled. You can, you are definitely belittled. So, so, it, so it fits in that sort of sense. But I, I totally get what you're coming from on the persecution thing. I, I do not like Christians talking about being persecuted here in the United States. Uh, Unless, unless it's, you know, I, w- I would make an exception for a specialized case, like if there was a Christian in a neighborhood who was constantly being beaten up or harassed or something like that, and that right. person, person wants to say they're persecuted, I would not, you know, say, no, you are not. But as a group, while we do face discrimination and, and re- rejection and, and, you know, there's all sorts of issues as far as the culture elites and how they, you know, want to say Christians are mistreated in certain ways in society, I wouldn't argue that. You want to say there's some some discrimination? I'm, you know, there's some cases where I, that's clearly the case. Right, the book but about persecution that. <laughs> just has a, it has a connotation that I just don't feel comfortable with. Right. Yeah. 
So, so the, the category of oppression then, uh, you would say is, is too severe for what um, non-white racial groups in the United States experience. I, I, you know, given our history, I mean, I mean, you know, I, I think words mean something. I think when we talk about oppression, we want it to mean something. You know, oppression was slavery. Oppression was, you know, the internment centers. Oppression was the way the, the Hispanic uh, people were, were treated as second-class citizens. You know, uh, doesn't mean that we don't face discrimination. The research clearly shows African-Americans face discrimination still in our society today. You know, that, that there's not rejection and stigma, stigma, stigmatism, stigmatism, stigmatization, sorry. Uh, but oppression, I think, has to mean something. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I personally would not use that word. A lot of people want to use that word, you know, okay. Uh, but I personally want to use that word for today because I want to, and, and, and I think using that word also <clears throat> gets us away from the, it, it forces us to fight the battles that were fought 50 years ago. Is that fighting the battles today? Right. The battles today is not what people see African-Americans as not, not fully human. Uh, you know, very, 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 very few people would have that sort of idea today. That was that was a more common idea 50 years ago. And so I think we need to to deal with the battles today and not 50 years ago. That's why I would not use that word. Yeah, it's like, I mean, there's there's still this, I mean, it's kind of, I know you've been a little bit critical of some of the implicit associations tests and that sort of thing, but they, there have been some psychologists who have shown that people have an easier time associating darker skinned people with apes. Yeah. And a heart and, and, and it's it's not that they're explicitly thinking these mm -hmm. are human people, like people used to think. And people yeah. really did think that. But yeah. but uh, it's it's that there's this association that's in people's minds still. What are the real world effects of that? I have no idea. Yeah. The the, the the claim is that's what's lying behind some of the implicit biases and all that kind of stuff. I don't have any idea. If yeah, I, you know, that's I, really I'm open to the idea that that there is this sort of subconscious racial bias a lot of people have. I'm, I'm very open to the idea. I yeah. just don't think we, we have a way of measuring it realistically. Those association shows that, that, you know, it has no reliability to it right. uh, or very little reliability. I shouldn't say no reliability to it. And, and it's not, it's not predictive of actual prejudice. And so, but, right. but yeah, so, so it, it's, but, is there some, is there, maybe one day we'll find out a way we can really measure that? Because I do think that that probably does exist. I think that's what explains some of the audit studies that, that you know, that, that we've seen as far as employment discrimination and such like that. I think, right. I think that's a better explanation than, you know, I'm not going to hire a black guy, you know. Right. I, I think there's some subconscious. I just don't think, I'm, I mean, I don't know. How do you measure that? And, I, and that's something that's so hard to measure that I'm going to be pretty skeptical unless you can really, really show me over time that this is a good solid measurement, it's predictive, and it's reliable. You know, the, the implicit association tests are instantaneous judgments. That's the thing. Right, yeah. How you respond when you're not taking a time to second a second to think about yeah. it. Yeah. If you take a second to think about it, you can game those tests. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can get whatever results yeah. you want. Take a second. But you're, what you're supposed to be doing is do your doing it. But it's just that people don't do that. Yeah. People will take the second and think about it. Yeah. And that will totally game the test. And that's been demonstrated. So yeah. when people take the tests properly, they do seem to have these biases, but what's the real world effect of that? I don't know. Right. I mean, yeah. in cases where a police officer is making a split second judgment, maybe that plays a role. Mm -hmm. 
has anyone really correlated that in a way that shows hard data? Um, yeah, they've done tests of police officers taking shots yeah. at targets and, and so on. That's about it. I mean, that, that, and that's the, the, results, the results of those are kind of disturbing. Mm -hmm. They're, but it's not what people think they are. It's not that they uh, actually, police officers do better at that than most people do, mm -hmm. surprisingly. Well, well they, have, they have training, I would think that, that would probably Right, they them. have training. Yeah, yeah, they have training that helps yeah. them with that. So they, police officers actually do better than most people at those tests where they're, they're told to shoot the people who hold guns and not to shoot the ones that have wallets and that yeah. kind of thing. And police officers do far better at not shooting the people with wallets than yeah. I would or than you would. So, um, but what they, what, what they do have, what does affect them is um, they're quicker to shoot the ones with guns. Mm -hmm. if they're black hmm. which means there is an effect yeah but the effect is in the direction of doing their job more effectively not less effectively yeah <laughs> so um now i mean that doesn't mean everyone with a gun should be shot but still that's what the instructions of the test are hmm. so it, it's it's there's definitely a racial effect yeah of of thinking to being a little bit a little bit slightly more i mean it's these 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 test results are not that great. They're not that that strong. They're yeah. they're not that uh, the difference between the people with the bias and the people without the bias, which is none of us, uh, is that is that um, what we would be if we didn't have a bias. I guess is what I mean. Uh, the difference is not that severe, but the bias that we do have makes it quicker to shoot people who have darker skin if they do have a gun and it makes it more likely that we'll shoot the person with darker skin if they don't have the gun. And that second one that not there with, the second one is not there with cops because it's yeah. trained out of them. The first yeah. one is not trained out of them. Yeah. Uh, so, but, but it means there's some effect going on with stigmatization, negative stereotypes and so on, yeah. but only in these instantaneous cases, as far as we know for sure, the, yeah. the people like the guy that kneeled on George Floyd's neck, um, that's not implicit associations going right, on. Right, right. Yeah. That's something very different in that guy's case. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I've seen, you know, the studies I've seen have shown that the implicit test doesn't predict prejudice afterwards. Maybe, you know, maybe there's certain, but you know, but you know the way well, we've done yeah. is, is that, that, you know, there may be other sort of studies and, and maybe they'll be able to refine it over time. And yeah, I'll try to, re, I mean, I'll try to remain open minded to the implicit bias test uh, yeah. over time. Uh, you know, if I can, if I see more on it that shows, well, it can predict it in this limited way. But the way it's being used, though, is, I think, irresponsible. You know, yeah. that, that you, know, this, you know, if you have a piece of bias, you have all these ranges of prejudice, and that's just simply not true. Right. That, uh, you know, there a lot of studies have shown that, you know, there's no correlation to, to showing a piece of bias and being prejudiced in, in a future task. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, fact, yeah, maybe there are some limited tasks. Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe, the, maybe there's, uh, maybe if we're talking about something that's bang bang, then then that that kicks in. Uh, that, that's a possibility that I'm willing to entertain, but I'm not willing to entertain the way it's being used by D'Angelo and others to sort of imply, hey, there's this. And by the way, and I believe there probably is a subtle type of racial animos that we we, we tend to have, and, and we don't always know that we have. I just don't think we have a way of measuring it at this point that I, that I trust. And the thing is with those tests, what, what was so disturbing about them when they first came out is that it didn't correlate with your actual views. 
That was why people were saying this is really disturbing. You can yeah. be the most progressive, left-wing, uh, yeah. anti-racist person, and you take this test, and your bias is just as strong, or maybe yeah. even stronger than someone who's an actual racist. That's yeah. the thing. So right. it's it that was why people found it so disturbing. So the fact that they're they're activists who are basically taking this research and making it sound like it's showing that this is racism in the in the the more explicit sense mm-hmm. is strange to me. So yeah, I think I think I think there was probably a social psychological uh, desire to expand the definition of racism among these activists. I think that's that's, that's right. maybe why you know. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, once again, it's anti-racism, you find racism everywhere. Where it is, but sometimes everywhere it's not. So, yeah, uh, and, and I should say there's all sorts of other ways of doing biases besides these implicit ones, the implicit associations. Implicit associations is just associate this face with this word. Yeah. Right? A negative term, a dark face, a negative term, a light face, a mm-hmm. positive term, a dark face, a positive term, a light face. Which of those, in a split second judgment, do you have an easier time doing? That's the implicit yeah. Test. There's all sorts of other biases that, that, that are obviously there. I mean, stigmatization is real and it influences how we think about people. Do, do, uh, if I see someone who's got a certain skin color, dressed a certain way, walking down the road in a certain way, am I going to expect a certain thing out of that person? Yeah. Th- those, are, those are real biases that we have. And those are yeah. much more right scientifically demonstrated oh yeah stereotypes stereotypes has been really demonstrated yeah Uh, you know we stereotype people and and part of it is and i think this this explanation makes sense to me part of it is you use the stereotypes as shortcuts because if you have no other information then you need to you know then you use whatever information you have to to make an assessment until you get more information and so uh you know, a, a woman may stereotype men as dangerous because if that's the only thing she knows about someone and she's in a situation where he, he might attack her, she must use that information. He's a man, therefore there's this threat is there. Now, once she, maybe, she, maybe she, he turns around and he has a white collar, he's a priest or something like that. Now she has further information in order to make a decision. One could even argue that stereotyping is useful to a point. If all you have is certain information and you know that but there's there's some interesting research out there that shows that the stereotyping is actually fairly accurate. That we stereotype in ways that they're fairly accurate. I mean, it's it's not research that's that's well touted because, as you can imagine, the implications of it. But you know, but <laughs> yeah, but there's there. I mean, I, I can I can direct you to some research right there as far as you know. Uh, the problem, of course, stereotyping is that we if we set the stereotype. Even as we get more information, then it becomes sort of a straitjacket we keep people in. But uh, but yeah, but we all stereotype this to a certain extent uh, when when we uh, when we see individuals, you know, based on the current information that we, we have of them at the time. So, for example, if I have a student who is Asian, yeah, uh, is it more likely that that student grew up speaking a different language at home until they went to school? Yeah. And therefore, can I, should I be looking out for things in their language that I can help them with, right, as they're right. writing and yeah. I was reading their papers, right? There, there doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. Stereotyping, but I'm stereotyping in a way that's letting me look out for potential problems that I might be able mm-hmm. to help with, right? Whereas when you assume something is true of someone because of their group affiliation, yeah. whatever their group might be, 
when it might not be true, that can be a problem. Maybe right. just insulting. Maybe just insulting. Yeah. But in, in other cases, though, uh, it might be a serious problem. Yeah. Like if I if I assume from the outset that I'm going to have low expectations of a student because they're from a demographic that doesn't do as well yeah. as in terms of test scores and grades and so on mm -hmm. then i'm setting my expectations low right yeah that might be a problem because i'm going to then this would be a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing right yeah. um which is why some people do blind grading i i don't yeah. but some people do blind grading to try to avoid that kind of bias sure sure uh, the reason i don't is because i'm reading papers and i want to think about the person as a person when i'm mm -hmm. reading their paper and yeah. sometimes that can inform my understanding of their of their paper. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I, I think I'm doing them a, a disservice if I don't know who they are when I'm reading their paper. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's it's uh, and I can also take into account. I know this is a student with a disability and that kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't like to do blind grading for that reason. But I understand why people who do it do it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, yeah, I, I, I tend to do blind grading, so I guess I'm one on the other side of it because I don't want this. It's not, it's not just about the characteristics. I don't want to give a student a higher grade than they deserve because I, my, I mean, let's face facts. Sometimes we like some students more than other students. Right. So you're soft on. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and I try, I try to get away from that. But yeah. uh, here's what I have to say. You know, stereotyping becomes a problem when you're when you're entering into ongoing relationship with a person and you keep it there. And so if I had a student who came from a marginalized background, I assume that they're not gonna do very well. If I, if I maintain that stereotype, that's really problematic. Because, right. you know, I'm not letting that person to demonstrate them to themselves. On the other hand, you know, if I get in an elevator and there's this six foot 10 black guy there, and I stereotype him, he probably plays basketball. I leave the elevator, you know, he may not be a basketball player, but okay, so what? You know, I had a stereotype there. That person was in my life for all of three seconds and, and gone, you know, I'm not, my my vision of them doesn't really impact them. I mean, it's like, you know, it's an assumption that's, you know, not unreasonable to make, but it may be, it may not be true. But even if it's not true, you know, so so what? It has no you know, impact. That's when it's really not problematic. You know, I right. think I think I think you know to make an initial assessment, we tend to stereotype, but when we hold on to those stereotypes and and then just not not willing to change them, then it really becomes problematic. It seems to me that you're 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 the, the there are realities of race. We need to address those. That's the real problem with colorblindness. And in terms of the, the anti-racism approach, where you're worried about with them is that they're over-identifying racial problems. They're misassigning them uh, when they're not race issues or when they're not problems. Yeah. Uh, or that the language that they use is targeting things that are not bad at all like with whiteness and things yeah. like that um are, are and, there squelch, and, and i think i would also add that they're they they, they squelch uh, the perspectives of people who disagree with them especially european americans i think that that's a real real problem that's not always clear from my my non unnuanced description of them but then when you look you know dive into their stuff it becomes pretty clear so do you so part of that is a conversational thing, which is your positive yeah. approach. Yeah. You're looking toward collaborative conversations because mm -hmm. there's research that just plain shows <laughs> that that's more effective yeah. than the anti-racism kinds of approaches. There's not research on race per se yet. 
but there's research in other other dimensions. Yeah. Right, yeah. And, and what I hope to do over the next couple of years is get some research on race. One of the things you pointed to is in marriage counseling, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So when both parties are involved in the conversation, both parties get to express what they think and get yeah. and, and actively listen to the other side. A good counselor forces you to do that. <laughs> right, 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 right. So it's, 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 uh, <clears throat> So the idea then is this is what you're, you're trying to do research on now to try to, to try to see if you, it can be demonstrated that this approach works better with race. Yeah, yeah, uh, that, 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 that's why I want to do research because I want to show because we know that uh, diversity training long-term doesn't really work. Uh, we know that, uh, you know, there is some interesting research showing that in organizations that have mandatory diversity training, you actually, have fewer managers of color hired, but if you have voluntary diversity training, you actually have more managers of color hired. So, you know, what's that telling us? I think, I think we have voluntary training. You're probably gonna, my guess, you, you know, is that these are organizations that they're training because voluntary has to be more conversational. Because if you're, you know, if you're gonna have a D'Angelo sit up there and lecture you for two hours and voluntary, then most people, are gonna, most people who, who aren't already buying anti-racism are gonna say, check please, I'm gone. Uh, but it's mandatory, then they have to sort of get, take it. Uh, so I do think that, that there's evidence uh, out there. Well, the evidence out there, I think, does show that diversity training the way we tend to do it does not tend to work, although you can always find exceptions to that. And so, I, I, you know, if I, can, if I can demonstrate then that collaborative conversations do work and, you know, contrast that to the evidence that diversity training does not work, then I think that I can make a stronger, very strong case that this is the direction we need to go. So, what do you think about um, what do you think about Robin D'Angelo's approach? Is the most good word for it uh, harmful? Yeah. Um, the most the most problematic element of her approach. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say which one is the most harmful. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I, you know, uh, well, the, you know. Is it shutting down the voices of whites that's the most harmful? Or is it telling people of color that, you know, you basically you can say anything and white people aren't going to do anything because humans don't do well having absolute power like that. And the illustration I would like to give is, you know, what if, an, you know, I as an African-American man makes a racialized sexual uh, suggestion to a white woman that I'm working with? You know, D'Angelo's approach is that she can't cry. She just has to try to understand. And I've, you know, dehumanized that person. D'Angelo makes no, there's, I mean, she, she never says, here's certain situations where you don't have to take it. No, you have to take it. To me, that's, that's an incredibly dangerous atmosphere that you're going to create. Does she uh, explicitly say that about a sexual comment? No, no, no. I'm, I'm yeah, using this example because I'm just, okay. you know, I'm taking her, I'm taking, yeah. you know, she doesn't, what she does not do is say, look, you know, doesn't think it there are certain situations that. where you don't have to do that. She never says that. Right. So if she's not going to say that, then then I feel like I I can make the argument that you know if a, if a, if a black man makes a, a a sexualized racialized comment, you know, so I'll put the racial in there, so it's not just sexualized racialized right. sexualized right. comment to a white woman. She has no defenses because the angel gave her no defenses. So I right. think she owns that, even though she did not say it was okay. She didn't say it, yeah. And I think if you presented that case to her, she'd probably say, oh, no, I don't mean that because, you know. Then, you got, then in your book, you got to say there are times where you don't have to, where you don't have to. She never says that. 
And, but she does. But she doesn't take the time to really think this through. I don't think. Say, look, there are exceptions to this, and and clearly lay them out. Because if she does that, then, you know, in the world of anti-racism, she's now constraining the voices of people of color. Right. Uh, but you know what? Our voices need to be constrained because we're human, because of human depravity. Yeah. Uh, need to be constrained in, in helpful ways. Not that we don't. Not that we need to be silenced on our opinions, but we need to be treated with respect. Uh, Right. And, and that sort of thing, just like we need to be treated with respect. And, and your approach seems to me to capture the idea that she insists on that mm -hmm. voices of color need to be listened to. Yeah. You've got that part. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not, yeah. Um, yeah. I would not, I would not uh, support uh, a perspective where voices of color were, were shut up. But I will not support a perspective where white voices are shut up, you know, right. either, because I think that, that is what we need to, we need right. to have happen. Right. So the, so, uh, the, color, the colorblindness approach wants to say your race is irrelevant. It doesn't matter that you're black. Right. Yeah. So in Whereas a way, even though they don't mean to, they, they shut up voices of color, you know. Right. And you uh, want to say it does matter that I'm black. Yeah. Because Completely. that influences me and my not that all black people think alike or that all black right. people say the same thing. But if race has influenced your experiences and, and Therefore, then I bring that to the conversation. Those who don't have those experiences need to hear them to yeah. understand what the world is like for someone like you, right? And that's where she's right. She's yeah. not wrong oh, yeah. about that. No, but then no, she says that, is that I, I don't have any right to say anything because I'm white. Right, yeah. And um, it's, it's, it shuts down the kind of conversation mm -hmm. that you want to argue we need to have. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it, it completely shuts it down. Uh, and, and, you know, like I said, anti-racism is right when it points out problems. You know, colorblindness is right in, in certain situ situations. I'm colorblind when I, when I grade my papers. You know, I don't take into consideration, oh, this person came from a marginalized background, so I'm gonna give them an extra point. That, that would not be fair. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, so, so, you know, so does, is it, are there times where we should be colorblind? Yeah. But you know the total ignoring of of, of our of our racial backgrounds is, is what I argue against, uh, and so you know I think both of those approaches can find you know their their places where 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 they fit. It's just that they become so totalizing that uh, you know it's sort of like you know when when you're when you're what's it you're in carpenter you have a hammer everything's a nail. And, and and that's just not the way things work out, especially if we can work out with each other. Yeah, yeah. I was, there's a kid teacher at my kid's school that did that. She was actually giving extra points to the kids of color. And when my when my kids found out about, it, they were truly insulted. They were really upset when they found out about this. Yeah. So apparently she got reprimanded for it and and was told not to do it anymore. But they didn't fire her over it. Yeah. yeah. But but it 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 um it it just it just feels insulting, right? And yeah. I mean, there is this long tradition of minority voices among minorities who, mm -hmm. who, uh, who are offended by affirmative action, for example, Clarence right. Thomas. Yeah. But, um, but this feels much more, I mean, I think, I think a larger percentage of, of people of color would be offended by that than they would be by, by affirmative action. Especially if they're professors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and, and I don't think D'Angelo would, would recommend doing that either. No, no, she, she probably won't. I'm, all, all I'm saying is that, you know, I'm not, just like I don't totally dismiss anti-racism 
can't provide some insights. I don't totally dismiss colorblindness either. Even, you know, I'm probably closer to the anti-racist than I am to the colorblindness, but I don't dismiss the colorblindness that there are situations where, yeah, you know, we are going to ignore race in this situation because we're going to do something. What, what we're trying to accomplish, transition to race, would, would actually, you know, if I, if I gave my, my students of color 10 extra points uh, so that they're doing better than they actually, they think they know than they actually do know, uh, I'm not doing them any favors long-term. Right, you know, right. they, they get better grades than they probably deserve. Right. And they probably get jobs and they, they you know, that they, you know, of all of, of all us professors did that, not just me, of course, they probably get jobs they're not ready for because they, they, they think they know more than they actually do. Right. So I need, I need to accurately reflect what they do know on, on my exams, on, on the papers, uh, what they need to improve upon. Uh, and so, you know, to that degree, yeah, I, I am colorblind when it comes to grading uh, papers, exams, that sort of stuff, yeah. And, and I think most colorblind people aren't really colorblind when it yeah. really, I mean, they, 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 a lot of people who would describe themselves as colorblind took great delight in George W. Bush's appointments of Condoleezza Rice and Colin yeah. Powell and right. Right, people from, from various groups that were underrepresented in the highest levels of government. And, and so they, it's not that they don't think race should be paid attention to, they just don't like lowering of standards or anything like that. Yeah. But, it, but then there are the people that I've encountered who think that he shouldn't have been paying attention to those concerns whatsoever. Yeah. I wonder if some of the people yeah. who are color, kind of colorblind-ish and happy about Condoleezza Rice were happy because they could use that to say, see, Bush is not a racist. You know, there is that, and it's this, it's a similar phenomenon to um, who's that member of Congress that people always point to uh, on the right, um, the black woman, uh, uh, Candace Owens. Candace Owens, yeah. Yes. The phenomenon. Oh, Candace Owens. See, she yeah. says she's black. So, right. It's 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 almost as if the yeah. fact that there's this one black woman that says this make right. make them feel like it's okay that they believe it too. Yeah. Right? That really feels wrong to me. Yeah. Uh, whether you agree well, I mean, it's the same thing people do with Thomas Sowell. Uh, you know, they do the same thing as Thomas Sowell. Now, Thomas right. Sowell, you know, I think is intellectually above Candace Owen. So I'm not oh, trying far to, above her. I'm yeah. not trying to put him in the same category yeah. as Candace Owen. But, yeah. you know, I think he gets a lot more attention uh, and support from, from the service, obviously. Uh, if he was a white guy saying the same things, yeah. they would still like what he says, but they would not, you know, you know, soon it, you know, so well is, is what people put forward when they want to make an economic argument yeah. uh, that is more conservative and has a racialized impact. Race. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, he has his blind spots, but yeah. I, I think he, there's things he just doesn't see, he doesn't understand. He misrepresents things on the left that he doesn't get. And, mm -hmm. and, um, but I, he's polite. He's, uh, he tries to get things right. Yeah, and she doesn't try to be over the top, and I think she does. <laughs> so right, yeah. it comes across as a lot more grating. Yeah, and now some of that is also she's a woman, and there's stereotypes going on there. But right, yeah. I think some of and a black woman, right? But but some of it is also I think she's trying to be a firebrand. Well, that's just not, a pundit, right? I mean, yeah, I mean you, you know how things work in in the media. If you're a pundit. The more controversial you are, the more gigs you're going to get, and the more shows you're going to get on. So, I mean, there, right. there's it's, just, I mean, maybe in real life she's not this way at all. Maybe she's, you know, right. really thoughtful and 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 uh, 
I don't know. I don't know her personally, so I, I can't yeah. say that she's not that way. Well, well I'm not even going to say I doubt she's that way, but when she when has a pundit head on, you know, she can, uh, you know, you, you sort of get, you're, as an academic, you're rewarded for, usually you're rewarded for being nuanced and, and, and you know, Careful. understanding, sophistication. <laughs> yeah. The pundit, the reward system is opposite. Right. That's true. And yeah, Rush Limbaugh always used to say that the personality you would hear on his radio show was put on. It was an act. Yeah. He always used to say that, that he was, he was an actor. And yeah. not that he disagreed with the things he was saying, but mm-hmm. he, was, he was performing. Right, yeah. Always honest about that. I find that refreshing <laughs> because at mm-hmm. least he, he admitted it. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you don't see it from actual politicians. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Kendi differs from D'Angelo and how he sees racism, really. That's the main thing. Right? Yeah. In my, my understanding of him, I think you've spent more time looking at his stuff than I have, but my understanding of him, there's, we already talked about the, the there's no non-racism. Yeah. There's anti-racism and there's racism and there's nothing in between. But he also says that racism is, in a sense, race neutral because anyone can be a racist. Mm-hmm. And so he gets, because he defines racism as any kind of outcome that has disparate effects along race. Yeah. Right. So he'll say there are times when he's a racist. Yeah. Um, what I find from tending from the left really is that they don't like what he, when he says that because they want to say that black people can't be racists. Right. Yeah. Um, because they've defined racism as power plus privilege. And when you're not in the position of power, or I mean, even if you're sort of in a, in a small location in a position of power, you're not in the broader culture. So, I mean, I've, I've often presented examples, like if I'm in a job interview for a job hiring for philosophy of race, and the person who's doing the interviewing is a black man, mm-hmm. I'm definitely the one who's disadvantaged socially in that situation. But it's certainly true that in the broader society, right? Yeah, that guy, even though he's in a cushy academic job compared to a lot of black men. And I'm the one who's not, right? I'm mm-hmm. teaching as an adjunct faculty member at several institutions. I don't have a full-time job anywhere. Uh, and in some ways he's more privileged than me. Yeah. But there are some ways that I'm more privileged than him. For example, yeah. if I'm driving down the road and the police officer sees me, who's more likely to be stopped? Him, uh, and, and that, at least in certain, in certain areas anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously if you take that all into account, the question of privilege and power and so on is context relative, but you can think in, in terms of the big picture, I'm less, I'm more privileged in some ways than, yeah. than that guy was who interviewed me for a job. And so I'll talk with academics about these things who are on the anti-racism side and I say, well, you got to be more nuanced about it. And they say, okay, I appreciate your complexity, but, and they'll keep going back to the overall society thing. I think they would say the same thing to you about your research about the, the ways that Christians are sure. discriminated against in academia. And they would say, yeah, but in greater society, Christians are privileged. And I'm like, well, sure. Well, but the thing that I, the thing that I acknowledge I got, the other thing where it happens, right? I, I can tell you the pushback I get on that. And that is, well, look at all the Christian politicians. And, 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 and until last year, you know, Christians elected the president of the United States and the Christians hold, held the, uh, the Senate and stuff like that. And so, it all defaults back down to political power, which I understand, and political power is power. Uh, my argument is that cultural power, Christians, Christians are really, they, they are a classical marginalized group when it comes to cultural power. 
There's just no doubt about that. And and I would argue that culture power long term is more is more powerful than, than political power because culture power will equal political power eventually. So yeah, so I I, I you know that's the pushback that I get on on that. Um, so Hollywood, look at who's uh, academia, media, you know the arts. I mean, you know, yeah, you can you can have your Christian college, but when 99 percent of the colleges are not Christian and and pushing and and pushes an ideology that is not anti-Christian, at least dismisses Christianity uh, in ways that they would not other religious groups, you know, that's, you know, that's not nothing. Uh, and so, so, but yeah, but that's, that's sort of, push. Now, isn't so, that what, I mean, so isn't that what Kendi's saying though? That, 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 um, well, and he's not going that far, but right, yeah. a similar point to what I was making about um, there, there are certainly ways and, and places when Christians are not persecuted, but yeah. discriminated against, demeaned, sure. and so on. And, and are there ways that he, as a Black man, can do that against white people? Yeah. Certainly, right? I don't, yeah, and but I don't think Kenny would make that argument. You don't think that's what he means when he says No. I don't think he makes the argument about Blacks discriminating against whites. I think he makes the argument that Blacks can have attitudes that lead to, to, to racism the way that he defines it, which is any, you know, any inequalities that comes about. Okay, but. so so he's not actually departing from the power privilege definition that much then, is he? He is in this sense. He is in the sense that he says that a black can be racist, even if that black doesn't have power, if that black has an idea or, or pushes ideas that are racist by his definition of racism. But it's still only anti-black racism. Yeah, I don't think anti other non-white groups. Yeah, I don't, I've only read his one his his, his one book, How to Be Anti-Racist. So maybe he did it in his his other book. Uh, I forget the name of the book now. But uh, he does not ever talk about uh, anti-white racism. And that that's okay. that's uh, because for him, in fact, he actually argues that one of the ways you fight anti-black discrimination is is by discrimination, pro-black discrimination, which I would argue is anti-white discrimination. Yeah. So you think that you can discriminate in order to fight discrimination. And he doesn't just mean things like affirmative action there, right? He means he means Yeah, I mean, you know, the the, the interesting thing about Kindy and, and honestly in some ways, Kindy is more dangerous than D'Angelo. If his ideas got a more of a grip, they'd be more dangerous than D'Angelo, which is, you know, D'Angelo is what I call the therapeutic anti-racism, you know. Uh, she she probably has certain institutions she wants to change, but hers is you know I guess kind of help black people feel good. <laughs> Kendi Kendi you know you know about his you know there's no uh, non racist right. Well, Kendi looks at not just racial issues. I mean, read his book. He, he he talks about you know capitalism being a racist institution. You know he talks about patriarchy as a racist institution, and so he goes down and and it's very wide expanding as far as you know, his ideas of what racism is. And if you depart from that, you're a racist no matter what your, your race is. The real dangerous part of Kennedy is uh, he also advocates that the government gets involved. There should be a department of anti-racism. And yeah. if I remember correctly, and, and, and you know, I may not have this 100% because it's been a little while since I've read this, but this department would have the power to overturn any laws or re- rules or regulations. I think at the federal and even at the local level that were not sufficiently anti-racist. 
I mean, the implication of that is astounding. What Kinney would, would do, Kinney had the power to do this, and if people who buy him you know, accept this argument, is that we create this incredibly powerful department that would basically be busy implementing the ideas that he argues are anti-racism. I mean, literally taking over the government to, to push. And remember, anti-racism is not just about race. In Kenny's view, right. you know, it's about capitalism. It's also about patriarchy. It's also about, you know, issues of sexuality. You know, he ties all those, all those into anti-racism as well. So, uh, and so that's why I actually say Kenny is more dangerous than D'Angelo. If, if I would, as bad as she is, and she's her stuff is horrible. I'd rather people go to her than go to him because the implications of what he really wants is it, it, this tremendous power grab. It's Plato's Republic level totalitarianism. I don't know. I don't know. I've never read Plato's, Plato's Republic. Republic so you, you find I'll, I'll the ideal happy. perfect ruler, you put them in charge, and they get to say everything. There's no laws that constrain them. That's well, I have heard the argument that the best type of government would be a benevolent dictator. In theory, that's true. The problem is what happens when that person dies. Right. You know? Any Christian should believe that, but there's only one perfect ruler, and that's Jesus. Right. right. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you, you, for so, for uh, a human government, you just can't do that. And, and Plato himself, in the Republic, he presents yeah. this. But then in a later work, he says, there's no way we could ever do it. And we shouldn't even try yeah. because it's too dangerous. You put the wrong yeah. person in there, you give them absolute power. It's absolutely disastrous. And, exactly. Or and, if you pick the right person, eventually, eventually, eventually the wrong person is going to get in there. Right. You yeah. Know, yeah. Even if, right if, 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 if you right get a, a dictator, you set up a dictatorship and that person is going to die or, or something's going to happen to that person and then someone's going to move in. And how do you make sure that person is always a good person? I, I think human, the way we are, there's no way we can make sure. And so that's why in theory, that's, a, that's, a, that's great. I mean, in theory, sometimes I wish I said, couldn't we just now have this great dictator to make all these decisions for us? Someone who really wants our well-being. I mean, Taoism, I'm not Taoism, uh, Confucianism talks about, you know, having a government that's going to create better people and stuff like that. And I say, wouldn't that be great? But uh, then, then the reality strikes me, you know, even if you found that person and you put them in that position, what's going to happen when that person dies? So, yeah. so yeah. But yeah, so that's why Kenny, yeah, yeah. Kenny's ideas are, are really quite yeah. dangerous. I, I probably, if I had the time, I probably should do a treatment of him like I did with D'Angelo's with my blog. But I just don't have the time to do that. I mean, you know, because but but yeah, I I really am concerned. You know, uh, if if I don't think I don't think you know, I think at some point if he got popular enough to really and it really started getting some sort of power, something would stop him from implementing this very dangerous idea of this department of anti-racism. But still, the fact that, that he, the fact that he has that and people still like follow him is should be disturbing to us. Is that in his book or is that just stuff? Oh, yeah, said? that's in the book, yes. Okay, because I know he's been made. Yeah, I got that from the book. I didn't know it was actually in the book. Do you yeah. do you talk about this stuff in, in your forthcoming book? I don't know if I critique Kendi that, uh, to, to that, because I'm trying to look at more of a generalized anti-racism rather than critique individuals. So you critique yeah. the individual, then someone says, well, I don't buy that. I don't buy that department of anti-racism. I buy this other stuff. So I, I try, I think I try to do to deal more with uh, more generality. Of, what you talk uh, about is definition of racism. Uh, well. And also when you critique individuals, people always have the out, well, you just got an extreme person. And so, you know, that's why I, I rather critique the, the general ideas right. rather than individuals. But you do mention him and D'Angelo in the book. And talk about oh, I mentioned them, yes. I mentioned them, yes. Yeah, I mean, they're gonna get a couple of citations when my book comes out from me, so. Yeah, but not that they need them. more on the popular mindset I guess. 
Of, well, yeah, because I mean, look, you know, there were there were one and two bestsellers in Amazon for how long? You know, I mean, you, you, how, how can how can you ignore them? Uh, talk about anti-racism. Well, I look forward to your book when it comes out. Do you have the other one that you, <laughs> I haven't read yet? I, I still want yeah. to get to the, the one that focuses on Christian uh, communities and uh, really looking forward to that. I, I had to read the, the, the secular argument version of that when I probably would have preferred to read that one first uh, since they were written in that order. Yeah. I'm uh, I, several other stuff that you've, you've done, your stuff on, on uh, discrimination against conservatives in the academy and discrimination against Christians in the academy, I think is worthy of attention. And maybe at some point it would be good to have you back and have a conversation about that stuff at some point. Sounds but good. Thank you for thank you for doing this. Uh, okay. And, Thanks uh, for having me and and I guess you want to head off the class soon, so have a good class. Yeah. You've been listening to the Parable Man podcast uh, or watching, depending on whether you're doing the video version or the audio version. And uh, then my guest today was George Yancey, and we had a good conversation about race and his collaborative. Uh, approach in distinction to a collaborative conversations approach in distinction from uh, what he's calling the colorblindness approach and the anti-racism approach. So uh, I will sign off now and uh, look forward to uh, maybe having another conversation with him on another occasion.